I, I can't I can't help but notice the similarities between Will Graham and Holden. Oh, okay. Oh really? boy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah sort I mean, of, uh, very dark, yeah. Uh, brooding, uh, reluctant, reluctant, hesitant. almost the same physical ish kind of features going on. He, Will's not quite as Snickers bar as Holden, <laughs> but Hugh Dancy is a straight up lollipop. <laughs> oh, yes. his, his head is huge, huge, and his body is yeah. so He's huge. a lollipop. I, I have to say. When you said straight up lollipop, I thought you were going more in the Snickers bar direction. I thought you were more like I thought you were. Like, you know, I thought you were about to say something. I mean, I can, I can I go like, in that was, direction if you really want me to. But... I was about to say, I beg your pardon. You know? That's just because Listen. Lisa's like, I'm gonna take him to the candy shop. Hello and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, and hello, uh, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am Philip Kelly, the moderated, moderator today. Um, I'm sometimes a comedian and sometimes say things funny. Don't expect that on every episode. Um, we've also got uh, Lisa K. Weber, who just posted the most amazing artwork for her Hex comic, her X11 page on her Instagram. Uh, hi, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's like on Instagram. Instagram. I know it's absolutely amazing image. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we've got uh, Kelly Sue Milano. Uh, who's not only a fantastic writer of Hex 11, but she writes all of our absolutely delightful synopses that uh, have us cracking up every time we're reading them. Um, wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, Claire Thorne is here. Hi, Claire. I am uh, here. She is a cross-stitching goddess who always has something terrible to say about Tony Stark in her back pocket. I try. So if you need some Tony Stark hate, uh, just hit her up. I just been um, trying to think of ways to bring Tony Stark into Hannibal. I think there's something <laughs> there, so we'll figure it out. Fantastic. Uh, we've got Justin Penniston, um, a, a writer with a, a huge heart and an even bigger knowledge of comic books and the like, uh, who's uh, got a lot of stuff going on. How you doing, Justin? I am literally without words because I'm not used to you saying nice things about me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, yes, uh, welcome. The, the first thing we're going to do right now is read a summary of the uh, fifth episode. Uh, and you know, I finally I knew how to pronounce this earlier. And and now I'm going to mess it up. Coquille. 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 Thank you. Uh, so we, we're going to dive into the synopsis. Uh, Kelly, Sue, and Claire, take us away. Awesome. Will Graham and the BAU team work together to track the Angel Maker, another ultra-psycho serial killer whose bloody ritual includes cutting the victim's back flesh and stretching it to look like angel wings. Returning to the field weighs heavily on Will's psyche, especially as the murders get cumulatively more heinous, and Hannibal uses Will's impending breakdown to try to drive a wedge between him and Jack. Meanwhile, Jack Crawford's wife, Bella, pulls away from him even further and begins seeing Hannibal as her therapist, naturally, <laughs> in an effort to come to terms with the fact that she's dying. 
Beverly adorably tries to connect with Will on a more personal level, which is wonderful given that they're both socially weird. And that's the synopsis, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> um, so, you know, in this, like, I have been impressed with every episode so far, but there's something about this episode that it, the, it really finds its voice and elevates its game. Um, this has uh, an A and B and C storyline that are all amazing, that are all tied to together. Uh, and there's a line I, said by uh, Phyllis talking to Jack, I didn't count on changing as much as I did, which I think is a really telling line. And because this is a, an episode to me that's all about change um, and what's causing that change. Now I see it as maybe a fear of the unknown or the unexpected, a, a fear of losing power. Um, how right or wrong am I guys? And what do, what do you guys see this episode as being when it comes to change and what might be causing the change or possible change within these characters, ultimately. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and start with you, Kelly Sue, because you're nodding. Oh, okay. Um, I think that fear of change is a really big theme in this episode, especially because that is ultimately what's driving the angel maker to sort of do what he does. Um, we learn uh, I guess relatively early on in the episode that he actually has a brain tumor and Will deduces that he's afraid of dying in his sleep. Um, also, he sees people's faces on fire and he decides those are the ones who are going to be the angels that watch over him just in case he dies in his sleep. Um, I mean, that's one way to go about it, <laughs> you know, but that's also what's driving Phyllis. Um, and so much of what's driving so many of the characters is we're up, is this facing of the unknown. And so I think that the larger theme of this episode and really, you know, fear of the unknown is, is I think a prevalent theme throughout all of Hannibal. Um, but it really stood out to me in this episode and the way that they handled it. And it was such a nice, again, it could just be that it was such a nice break from the last episode where I was like, oh, okay. It's just a guy that's making angels. <laughs> Mary, okay. a child insight. There's not even one child insight, exactly. Um, but you know, there was for all the ways that it was insane, there was also, you know, it was a really kind of a darkly beautiful way to handle a fear of death and a fear of the ultimately the unknown. Mm. I mean, so much of like we like so much of the kind of vernacular of the show about like someone's becoming. And um, these kinds of like transformations that, you know, people go through really all throughout their life, but obviously when faced with mortality in the way that this show um, faces people with their mortality, <laughs> um, it's a much more, you know, intense shift that people have to make. And there is this like, you know, powerlessness. Um, and I mean, it's something I grapple with in my own life all the time is just kind of like um, flowing with the chaos mm -hmm. um, because there is no like control. And um, like with Bella's whole journey through her cancer diagnosis and coming to accept that this is what she's doing. She's dying. So she's going to control the information by not telling Jack. 
and she's going to control like how she presents herself she's going to control the way that she dies because she can't control that she is dying she can't she doesn't have any say in that I mean none of us do um but she she insists on this level of dignity which is also kind of what the angel maker is doing as well um in his you know fucked up serial killer way um by transforming the his victims from you know demons into angels and you know it kind of gives him this out as well um that he's doing god's work or whatever um and will be taken care of in whatever way he's telling himself (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah change scary (laughs) totally I can't approach this episode without getting really in my head about all the religious issues that it represents for me. Um, Obviously at the the core of it is just this kind of like religious trauma that we impose on people and children in particular without thinking about what we're doing. It's when you hear the, you know, this is kind of based on the, you know, I want to be, I don't want to die while I'm asleep, or I, I want to, you know, make sure that I'm going to go to heaven um, if I die in my sleep. It, it goes back to that children's prayer that we, you know, taught kids to say, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, blah, blah, blah. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And just like we do that because we thought it was comforting to kids and important, but how traumatizing it is to be sent to bed every night with the idea that, well, you, you know, if you make it through the night <laughs> yeah, good for you mm-hmm. and, and maybe you should just really hope that, that you go to heaven because you need to be thinking about this every night. Um, it's also, it's something that I, I connect to very viscerally, but at the same time, usually in these kinds of stories, the religious um, iconography is a bit more I'm very Protestant. I come from a background of, you know, having very little religious iconography that's part of my, my, you know, what I was brought up with. Um, and so usually these kinds of scenes kind of feel more Catholicized to me because it is, you know, you're supposed to think of it as this, you know, like a tableau that you would see in the uh, you know, stained glass, you know, window in a, in a Catholic cathedral. And that just wasn't part of my upbringing. Um, and I kind of struggle with that because it's, it, you know, the religion aspect of it is something that is very triggering for me. So it's, uh, I have to really work to kind of get to the heart of the episode, this, but the idea in religion that we, and I think especially in like fundamentalist um, denominations where there is the literal belief that our bodies will change and become something immortal and eternal um, if we do the right things and join the right things and say the right things and, and all of this other stuff. Um, it's so prevalent. It's so part of our social fabric um, that even people who don't believe in God or, or whatever else it is, it still dictates the way we 
end our lives it and how what we have done with our bodies um when we do die and this show is just i'm i'm sorry i'm probably rambling quite a bit but that's where <laughs> i sit with in this episode is thinking about all of those things so justin uh what does all that inspire you uh what do you, what are your thoughts here um it's it's interesting because you know you you phrased it as fear of change um and i saw it so much more narrowly mm -hmm. you know like it feels like each story is not only it's, it's fear of dying sure and of not being able to control that fact yeah and uh, not even a fear of dying but each of these three stories has an undercurrent of cancer which is a very specific mm -hmm. way of dying of like being corrupted from within you know um and being corrupted from within of course is a great you know metaphor for what is going on with will and hannibal um but like it, this is one to me this is the strongest episode thus far Great. because these three storylines do weave they they are so seamlessly woven around the concept of cancer and bringing up larger questions for the whole series as a whole while it, it very much contextualized by this one killer and what he's doing i, I too am always struck by religious iconography but for like literally the exact opposite reason of claire you know <laughs> um because i'm like man Catholics are a trip. Like, I love all these bells and whistles. I love all this stuff. You know, all these <laughs> saints and angels and demons and all this stuff is just cool to me. Um, That's Da Vinci Code level right there. <laughs> oh, dude. Um, let me tell you, the first time I saw this episode, though, like, I was like, like, this is the episode that really pushed me, like, to the how are they getting away with this on TV? Mm -hmm. like carving out someone's back meat to make angel wings and then wiring them up like that is some crazy gruesome gnarly shit you know and they it talk is about it, they talk no, about ahead. it being that like viking form of torture i don't want to um I'm sorry for interrupting you, but they talk about it being that Viking form of, of torture that it used to do. Mm -hmm. And the, and the show Vikings depicted this happening, um, on their show, which was a show known for really violent stuff happening and going on. And even they couldn't actually show that happening. It was just all this like fuzzy dream sequence. Stuff, it's so, so crazy. And like, because it's not, not only is it, you know, gruesomely violent, but we live in a very puritanical country. Mm -hmm. And people do not like, you know, anything that, you know, rubs up against their beliefs, you know, and this is like tits against the glass of your beliefs. This is really <laughs> like really bothersome. You know what I and mean? I'll, and I'll say this. If there had been tits in it, that's when people would have gotten oh. upset. Oh, yeah. You ain't, you yeah. ain't never lied. That yeah. is so true. No. Yes. No. no. Tits um, against the no, glass. Very true. I'm just thinking about Very that true. for a little bit. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> uh, I do think it's interesting, though, Justin, to to really sandbag what you're saying about the theme of cancer, because even Hannibal won't eat meat that has cancer in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, well, and not only that, like, you know, we come to Hannibal noticing that she has cancer by smelling her. And then he's, this is the episode with the famous, this is the episode. Soon? 
See, mm-hmm. you know, oh when God. Will, yeah. like, and Jack, when, when Hannibal is smelling Will, and you're left oh, to wonder damn. what the fuck is going on, <laughs> you know, and Will is freaking walking in his sleep mm. and night sweats, and it's just mm. like, you know, this, yeah. this episode blew my little mind oh. the first time I saw it, you know, yeah, because it is yeah. all tied together really well, mm-hmm. and you know. No. And then at the yeah. end, when Will see, uh, the the great thing is because Will involuntarily gets into the killer's head, into the dead killer's head, you know, and sees his own head on fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's Will projecting. So Will seeing some kind of a corruption on his own. I love that shit so much. Yeah. Oh, shit. And we'll we're gonna definitely mm-hmm. come back around to that in in a little bit here. Uh, and and I, and I agree, like. I think the the fear of power, the losing power that I was talking about, definitely fits into the the f- fear of dying. Like that's the ultimate change that you have no control over. And the the connection between the cancer was also really really powerful to me as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the the serial killer dying of cancer and you know the the love of Jack's life dying of cancer is such powerful mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but I think there's a, there's something else that's tying these characters together as well that kind of thematically deals with that. Um, there's this sense of displacement happening for many of our characters, uh, which I feel is kind of a reoccurring theme. And I'm wondering, um, you know, in this episode, uh, and maybe in any of the episodes, if, if you think of an example, um, how do you guys think they're dealing with this idea of displacement on a production level, like with the, the visual elements or uh, you know, even the dialogue or, or, you know, anything that comes to mind. Um, I mean, uh, I love the, I mean, I loved this. Uh, I mean, we talked about this being the, the best episode so far, which it, I agree totally yeah. is. Um, but this is also like where we're really, like we're seeing the real early stages of what's going on with Will um, as it's like kind of portrayed into the real world, like the opening sequence of him sleepwalking um and being picked up by the police is i i remember the first time watching it through being like wait what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) between that and the later scene of him waking up on the roof of his house oh man man. that's scary Um, as hell that scared me that's terrifying oh yeah Yeah. it's fucking terrifying that's one of the scariest things and honestly like the police one scared me too because police are scary (laughs) yeah and so it's like he's both times he's like in this like yep. threatening very like vulnerable. situation this very vulnerable mm-hmm. moment i mean it's <laughs> it's really really like terrifying to think mm-hmm. about what's going on with him that these things yeah. are happening um and when in the famous did you just smell me oh. moment <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and fan yourselves. <laughs> I um <laughs> okay. Kelly Sue is fanning her pits. She is fanning mm-hmm. her pits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, but um gotta calm the body should. down. Yeah. Um so yeah, and in that moment it's like, okay, well, something is going on with him because Hannibal can smell him. <laughs> And he knows that it's like, he knows what it is. Of course, we don't know yet. We don't get to know yet. Only Hannibal. Because of all the people in this show, he is the one who is in the most control. So um, 
Justin, it looks oh, like you yeah. want to jump in there. Uh, oh, the only thing I was going to say was, yeah. you know, we don't know what's going on, but it's hard not to think he's got cancer. You know, that's, <laughs> right, that's, right. that's the only thing, you know. Yeah. Totally. I, to I completely agree with what everything that Lisa said about the experiences that Will has throughout this episode. And I think that um, as an audience member, the visuals and the way that they depict these experiences that Will's having, there's always a part of me that's like, is this really happening? Mm. Like, what's real? Is he really on the roof? Mm -hmm. Is he really getting picked up by the cops? How do I know that this isn't a dream? And I love the way that they do that because there isn't a whole lot of differentiation between the experiences that Will has on his own that are real versus the ones that he sees. There's no like visual differentiation. Like his dream, his dreams are not like hazy or filtered, you know, it all looks the same. So you're left with a feeling that Will has, which is like, what is actually happening and what am i imagining mm -hmm. well now it's kelly's, yeah. now kelly stole the thing i was going to say she got claire got cleared i got cleared yeah, claire man got cleared oh my god does it, feel? Oh, it happened it's, how does it feel this is it's a both, momentous occasion yes it is it's and both, I i'm actually very proud to be the first one to claire claire yeah <laughs> very exciting it's both it's both invigorating and terrifying at the same time it but it, that's exactly yeah. what i was thinking of and, and as i i continue uh and, and it'll increase, I think, as the season goes on, obviously, is that sense of just never knowing what, especially in Will's head, what is a reliable narrative. And something starts to happen. You see him in a place, and, and as an audience, you don't know. Are we in reality? Are we in his head space? Are we in a, in a hallucination? Are we in a dream? What the fuck is happening? Pretty much all the time. And it 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 forces us... I am just kind of realizing this now it forces us as an audience to rely on Hannibal because we're learning to that it, they're teaching us to rely on Hannibal. He's the one in control and knowing what's going on. Um, I can't even, I can't even really, re I can't rely on anybody else's assessments of will. I, I, you, you, un you understand that Hannibal is the one who, sees all things and understands all things and everybody else is getting everything wrong all the time and they're not seeing what they should jack is not because he wants to be able to use will he's letting that blind his ability to understand what's really going on with will um alana trusts hannibal way too much um and and probably has too close of a connection to will so she's also not looking through a clear lens either it, it we we are starting to understand that jack is so focused on what he's doing that he hasn't even solved the the riddle of what's going on with his wife right like he here's an investigator here's the guy that we're supposed to rely on to be able to figure out what's going on and he's completely clueless to something that is the closest to him well he's too he's too close and it's way too hard for him to Ab yeah absolutely yeah. it's way too difficult for him to like come to that realization i mean the moment where he does realize it oh, oh 
It's like, oh, yeah. Lawrence man, Fishburne, everybody. A, God, the nice moment skin. he realizes yes. that's yeah. what's happening with Bella, yeah. oh his, like the entire progression oh, of his face and body, amazing. incredible. Amazing. That is incredible. an actor at the top of his game right He's, there. It's so, yeah. it, it really hurt my heart to see that. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. You know, that scene where they, and this actually speaks to the theme of displacement. Um, the, the scene in Lecter's office that they share together. One, he's so vulnerable in that scene that every time I watch it, I cry. And him, that vulnerability sort of hitting her, kind of shutting down and, and seeing her starting to open up again. But visually, so far in Hannibal's office, all we've seen are kind of dark shadows and this very austere kind of look. In this, there's sunlight coming in and there are two curtains hanging down in the back behind them the whole time that are red and white, the signs of SOS, trouble, uh, emergency. And it's such a big, bold, beautiful thing that it feels like it would be on the nose, but it's not because it's so emotionally grounded that entire scene. Um, but those curtains show that sense of displacement like visually, which I think is remarkable. And to something Claire was saying really quick that I think there is somebody who does get will and that's Beverly. The short little scene they share together where she goes, you know, <laughs> yeah, good for you, you're strange so that you can always look like you're strange is such a remarkable little moment that opens up Will in an opposing, like it's almost an opposing force to what Hannibal has been trying to do with him this whole episode. Hannibal's been trying to shut him off and here she is in one scene is an opposing force that opens him up again to then going to Jack's side at the end, which is also just a beautiful moment that makes me sob. Um, uh, but uh, Justin, what do you what do you have to say there? Well, you know, this harkens me back to something we talked about last week. Last week, we asked the question about Will and normal relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Will being there for Jack at the end of this episode is a real, like, exclamation point at the end of that, yes, he can, you yeah. know, because he, in that moment, he's not lamenting that he is not understood. He is not alienating himself from other people or he is there to be a silent source of comfort. I'm here when you're ready and I'll be here as long as you're not ready, you know? Yeah. And it's like, like that's, you know, that's, that's really good, important stuff there in terms of, you know, being a good friend. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you talk about displacement, you know, that, that's the question at the top of the of this segment. And everyone in this show is displaced in the sense that there is nothing normal or natural about being steeped in murder. Mm. You know what I mean? That yeah. is just not reality. Do you know what I'm saying? That's not normal. That's not normal reality, you know? Mm -hmm. um, not, not, and, and not being steeped in death because death is a natural part of life. But murder is not. Murder is not natural. Murder is, you know, that's something we do. We don't, you know, we don't kill each other for food unless you're Hannibal, you know. But even then, you know, he's not doing it for nourishment. He's doing it, you know, as punishment and elevation, you know. But Hannibal is a murderer. Hannibal is the only member of this cast who is not displaced. Hannibal, and that's why he always seems to be the one in control. You know, and we talk about all these characters have a loss of control. Well, they're all in a freaking alien world except Hannibal. Hannibal's the only native of this land, you know, which is why 
he's so fucking cool as a cucumber all the time and everyone else is a bit batshit you know yeah. right. it's hannibal's right. world we're just living in it word very true uh on I, that oh, note I'll, after the break i will save it for then <laughs> <laughs> on that note that awkward lovely note from kelly sue uh we are going to jump <laughs> to a quick uh, message and we'll be right back Continuing. Underway. We have a new podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, with our Hannibal podcast, Wait, Murder Husband. Stop. Wait. Why are you introducing this? You haven't even read the comic. And why the last man is one of my favorite things. You should do it, Claire. Well, if Claire does that, can I do the We Are Popsicle bit? Yes. Do it, Lisa. Hello, we are Popsicle. And we love talking about stories that we love. And I love Why the Last Man. So does Justin. I do! That's why when I saw the release date for the series, I said, yo, we should do this. And we all agreed. Why did we all agree? Because I'm always right. I think because it's actually a really important story that needs to be told right now. Yes. Well, it's the apocalypse, and it's the right time for that, right? Indeed. <laughs> but also, we've never really tackled anything. We've never tackled anything in real time before either, which I think would be fun. And once again, Philip hasn't read the thing. So, you know, we're fixing all the problems in the world. He's the last man. Is he the last <laughs> man? Am I? Am I? Comic? Yeah. Is the comic book about me? But yeah. why do you want to do it, Phil? Oh, because uh, I'm a sheep. Um, <laughs> I'm too afraid to say no uh, to the four of you. Uh, no, honestly, I, I've been told that I should read this comic book for so long, and uh, you guys have not steered me wrong so far. So I'm I'm ready and willing to follow all four of you over a cliff if you ask me to. Oh, interesting. So less a sheep, more a lemming, but we can live with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cool thing, though, is about this is that uh, this is going to be a bigger podcast effort in which we talk about shows, as was mentioned, as they are being released. Yeah, um, it's going to be called That Episode Was, you know, like how we start every conversation anyway. <laughs> and our first mission will be to talk about the first season of Why the Last Man, as only Popsicle can. Like the professionals we are, at least the ones who actually read the source material. <laughs> Aww. The Last Man premieres September 13th, so expect the first episode of That Episode Was to be released on Thursday the 16th or Friday the 17th, um, and for us to continue talking about how Phil has never read the source material. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back from break. Um, we are gonna uh, jump back into this with this question here, uh, with some dialogue actually. Uh, I can bring it out of you, not all the way out. I can give you the majesty of true becoming. Now, Justin touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want us to dive in a little bit. What the fuck is being talked about here uh, <laughs> in the specter of like all the killers and will and thematically, like this is some pretty um, esoteric stuff being tossed around uh, mm -hmm. uh who would like to start who would like to dive into this first i'll do it because this is part of what i wanted to share before we went to break oh anyway. great fantastic um this moment was amazing for several reasons um but i think that this is for me when the conversation about power dynamics really came out in the show 
um, and what we do to feel powerful and how so much of everything that goes on is who is who has power over whom. And like you were saying, Phil, Hannibal is the one who's who seems to always be in control and whoever is in control is the one who has all the power, right? And that I felt was what this killer was trying to have in all of these moments by being able to cheat his death. He's stepping into and grasping for a power that he desperately wants, but just does not have, right? Um, and I think that it really starts us off on this conversation of who has the power and when, and how it usually is almost always Hannibal. It all comes back to him as like the captain of all of these little ships, right? Um, and that was what was exciting to me about this dialogue that you chose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's- um, uh, Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, I feel like becoming as the, in the way it's used in this show is like, um, it's bringing out who you truly are. Um, it's, it's taking away your kind of like societal mask and, um, and like becoming what you really, what you really want to be in this world. And, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's used very well in this scene because we're talking about like, we're talking about this killer, the angel maker, um, like turning like bad people into angels and like bringing this out of you. And it's like, I mean, I don't know, man, <laughs> it goes, it goes like levels deep. It's, mm -hmm. um, because I, I mean, this is what Will is grappling with. I feel like all the time is, is he an angel? Is he a demon? I mean, not in those terms, but in the terms of this right. episode anyway, right. I mean, he kills somebody in the very first episode and he's never done that before. And so who does this make him? We talk in those first, like, you know, couple of episodes about like, what what is happening to him in the aftermath of killing someone um and the power that he felt in that moment and we kind of keep coming back to this theme of like if this is Hannibal's world then his version of someone's becoming is to embrace their kind of embrace their inner killer Right. Yeah. I know it's heavy shit, man. No, it is heavy shit. Uh, it's, it takes a level of vulnerability to become who you ultimately are or, or should be. And, and uh, that's, that can be a really tough place to step into, um, especially with the rules society has in place. Um, uh, Justin, it looks like you want to throw in. Well, this is, uh, you know, I think this is not just you know, in the language of the show, but in the language of the franchise, you know, um, I think that 
Thomas Harris's books and the movies and the show all sort of come back again and again to this concept of transformation through murder. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so much so that in Silence of the Lambs, which was up till this point, the high point of the of the of the franchise. You know, it, you know, one of the major elements is a, chrys a chrysalis. You know, mm -hmm. uh, a, a a you know a, a cocoon shoved down people's throats. You know, transformation, the act of becoming what you are ultimately meant to be. You know, is a very real um, theme of the show. Um, so much so, I mean, it's hard not to have a sense. You know, like you know that Hannibal's not just fucking with Will to fuck with him. You know, he has an agenda. He wants to help Will become. I mean, he is encouraging Will to embrace the fact that he has killed and to see it as the act of power that it was. You know? Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about that sort of transformation, you know, entering a chrysalis, you know, when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, it completely dissolves. It is completely broken down. And so, you know, this is Will having this vision. I can bring it out of you, not all the way out. I can give you the true majesty, the majesty of true becoming. As Will himself is literally breaking down, that comes immediately on the heels of him telling Jack, I don't know that I can do this. This is damaging me this is hurting me this is killing me you know and so like i think that sort of transformation element is a, you know a huge part of what these shows are about and what this this whole hannibal lecter verse is about you know right. so and that there's only forward because Jack doesn't Jack's like well you can't you can't not look because yeah. if you go back yeah. to not looking you'll feel even worse and you'll be even less of who you are it's interesting to me because again going back to the religious connection and what I think I understand of the killer and what he's trying to do connects very heavily to me of how disconnected I felt when I was steeped in religion and when I was actively trying to be successful at being a child of God, it was all about having these having these weekly experiences where you're hyped up into this emotion of feeling the way you're told you should feel filled with worship and love and, and that your thoughts should be um, holy and pure and always feeling a sense of disconnection in terms of I would, I would go and have the religious experience surrounded by the trappings of the, the emotion and, and all of those things happening, but immediately walk away and go right back into my head where I, I clearly understood things were happening in my head that were not that they were not holy and pure. And, um, I should want to be in the presence of God, but I also didn't want to be. And that constant struggle of, 
identity in terms of attempting to achieve something that is nebulous and circular in its reasoning and knowing that you're never really achieving it. Um, I, the fact that this killer has created a way for him to solidify that struggle to become something holy and pure makes a lot of sense to me because you get to a point of absolute desperation in the understanding that everything you believe in, you just are incapable of living up to it always and consistently. And for Will, on the flip side of that, if he's the one that you think of as going through that struggle, trying to be a normal human being, but understanding that, that, that in his head, he is never going to, to hit there, to have someone who points out to him, no, don't continue the struggle anymore. Just accept who you are in your head and embrace it. I also understand what an absolutely just emotionally revelatory moment that is um, to just allow yourself to have that freedom. I get it. It's This is not the freedom that he should embrace because... <laughs> whatever, but I, but I get it. I understand that emotional struggle. Yeah, no, as do I, since we kind of come, both come from a religious background, I definitely relate to you there, Claire. Um, And there's something about that in, I actually looked up because the, the, the burning heads were interesting to me. And there's something in the new international version, the Bible that says you will heap burning coals on his head. And the, uh, Expression may reflect an Egyptian expiation ritual in which a guilty person, as a sign of repentance, carried a basin of glowing coals on his head, which is really interesting that Will saw his own head burning, that the only reference I could find in the Bible to that was one of holding on to guilt. Um, But I think that that element leads us naturally into what all of this episode has been leading towards, our exquisite corpse, uh, which I will then hand off to Lisa to allow us to dive deeper into that. Exquisite Corpse, man. This week's Exquisite Corpse comes out in, I guess, three tableaus. We have our first in the motel room. We have the one in the alleyway, which was like, I took a picture. It was so beautiful. (laughs) And we have the final one in the scene, all depicting, you know, as we've talked about, um, back flesh transformed into wings with wires. Um, and I really loved what um, the Jim Morrison quote that um, Beverly Katz gives during the autopsy. Death makes angels of us all and gives us wings where we had shoulders smooth as raven's claws. I mean, thanks, Jim. And mm-hmm. thanks, Beverly. <laughs> yeah. um, for that line, because it's so, you know, beautiful and amazing. And so... I mean, we've been talking a lot about like in previous episodes, even the kind of, you know, kind of Christian themes um, that keep on kind of being presented in these kind of, you know, in the ways of like crucifixion. And so let's talk about this quote. I mean, 
we've talked a lot about Christianity already. If you want to keep going on that track, we can. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, a lot of this is about like, you know, transformation. It's about atonement. It's about sacrifice again. So um, let's, let's dive in. Thoughts, y'all, on these verses. Um, the organized religion, as I have come to know it in my life, um, through Christianity and through Catholicism, um, at its best, it can offer you transformation through your own acts of service and um, through your own commitment to your religious practices and lifestyle. At its worst, it is like the one and only power play, like the biggest misuse of power ever, um, which was why I defected at the age of 17, <laughs> um, for better or worse, yeah. And I think that, you know, this quote, it's like death is the great equalizer, but Hannibal says early on, you know, how, did, how does God feel when, you know, the church is shot up and all these people die. And Hannibal says he probably feels powerful. So to hand somebody their death is to experience power. Um, and this just goes back to those themes that were so prevalent for me watching this episode of who has the power, who's in control. I mean, even Jack, um, even Jack saying that to Will about like, yeah, you could quit, but even if you do, you're going to feel worse. That's a power play. That's taking what he knows intimately of Will and using it against him. Mm -hmm. And that is why the intimacy of this show is so heavy and is so wrought with like, who's zooming who, you know? Um, but in the end, death is what neutralizes all of it. Mm -hmm. And that is why I love this quote. That is why Jim Morrison is like, I mean, that sounds like something Will Graham would say. <laughs> in passing. Well, here's how yep. I think of it, you know. So um, I love that. And I mean, I don't think there's a better representation of it than the murder mm -hmm. tableaus that we see in this episode. Yeah, I think I think the the visuals that stay or the visual that stays with me really is the opening uh, scene in the motel. Uh, and I think it's because it's the most visceral depiction of Will's use of his connection to the crime scene that we've experienced so far in the series. The, the fact that we're given the, the gruesome scene first, the, our entrance into the scene is, in, is we see the, the back of these two figures and the deformity and the, the, the mutilation right off the bat. And then Will goes and lays down in the bed in order to experience and see and feel what, you know, why the killer was laying in the bed and slept there. Um, and so then when we're given the reverse and we're given the scene through the killer's eyes, there's this like backlit glowy, you know, halos over their heads kind of, of a visual and that felt to me more vulnerable and emotionally fragile um, of a moment because I think Will is, is kind of 
we're being told as the audience that that Will is seeking this same kind of protection. He's starting to feel just as vulnerable and um, is as terrified as this killer was. And he could use he could use some people, you know, praying over him. So it, that just sticks with me. It's it's a it's a beautiful, heartbreaking just difficult scene to to watch yeah uh, i think i think the moment that will stick with me again is, is that alley scene with jack walking away leaving will there and the further he walks away there's like a halo around will's head um that's kind of created and it's just not only is it fucking beautiful to look at um like the the, the thematic element of being left alone to look at this um, while everything, while Jack disappears into shadows uh, and the framing of it all is, is remarkable. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Christianity teaches you to empty yourself out to allow <laughs> change, to allow something in. You have to get rid of yourself wholly and completely so that Jesus can enter your life. And there's something also about that, you know, he, he castrates himself, which that in and of itself, would, I imagine, be a very difficult thing to do. Um, I, you know, I would have More a hard difficult time than hanging himself up in the barn. I always wondered about the physics <laughs> of that. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to think about <laughs> doing either of those things for myself. That seemed easy to me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's something on the physical level of, uh, you know, emptying myself out, uh, to become something else of the castration is, uh, pretty powerful, uh, moment as well. Um, yeah, this the tableaus in this episode were pretty remarkable uh, in, in their meaning and it just their visual acuity. It was amazing. I just Justin. for me, the, the alley, the 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 body suspended, you know, angel like in the air in the alley. Uh, it really hit me, and it really hit me because it's sort of a callback to the body of the guard in Silence of the Lambs mm -hmm. that handles yeah. the strings up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there, in that case, the body was practically a distraction to allow Hannibal to escape. And I, uh, I almost, um, I found myself, you know, I was a little misdirected by that because I was wondering, how is this a mystery? How is this a distraction? How is this a misdirect? You know, um, and but it really I, I don't know like it really just in that moment seeing the angel in the air i was able to buy in because it like castrating yourself sure that seems pretty difficult but what really seems difficult is killing someone carving out their back meat to make angel wings and then finding a way to hoist them into the sky yeah. Like that seems like the work of a zealot, you know? <laughs> if anything yeah. took premeditation, this one did. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And like, but it's, it, it's, it's so committed as to seem like the act of a believer, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, so that really struck home with me, you know, that, that bit about, I don't know, like he, he, I definitely felt like he was, believing what he was doing 
you know, that, you know, I was like, he's not evil. He's just crazy. You know? I also felt to jump onto what both of you were saying about this particular scene that the, that, that one um, harkened back so closely for me to the, um, the way that the security guard was strung up in Silence of the Lambs. That's exactly what Justin just said. Justin about is that what you just said? Yes. You said got that. cleared. Ha-ha. Cut me out. Cut it out. Cut it out. I will. I will. I was dealing with another ruckus. Yeah, there yeah. There seems to be a lot going on in my house today. But Justin. You're tracking with Justin. Which yes, we are tracking. here. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that, that wraps up this segment, this exquisite quips segment. <laughs> Whoops. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, uh, Popsicle, what do you want? Uh, we want Justin Peniston. We want Justin Peniston to give us a recommendation is what we want, I think. Okay. Well, so it's hard not to see into, you know, the angelic iconography of this episode. And I wanted to take my recommendation, as I was thinking about that, I wanted to take it in a direction that wasn't so hardcore steeped in Christianity per se. Um, and that took me to one of my favorite books, certainly my favorite book by this particular author. Um, and for me, the book is actually the way to engage this story. And that is Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, um, which really deals with angels in an interesting way in, in, in the story. And I won't go into specifics because if you haven't read it, you absolutely should. Um, also recommend the Audible version. Oh. The audio oh, drama, I, yes. Sure. I've had the company sure. of that on long drives and Neil Gaiman <laughs> as a narrator, y'all. Oh, dude. Does that yes. also have James McAvoy in it? Do I remember correctly? Like the radio drama did, but there's oh, a right. version yes. like Justin talking about it being like the full book. Yes, you're right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Gaiman does a Neil Gaiman is yeah, you're right. I mean, this and this is a story that's been adapted. I mean, so there's an audible, there's a, an audio drama, there is there's a TV miniseries. I'm pretty a BBC miniseries. I'm pretty sure, um, and I do believe that there is a sequel underway. Ooh, yeah. uh, yes, yeah. uh, which I'm thoroughly excited about. Um, but Neverwhere is hands down one of my very favorite books, and certainly my favorite Neil Gaiman. Um, and again, you know, there's something about angels and something about becoming, you know, that is uh, worth exploring. And I think if you enjoyed this episode, this might be a slightly less gruesome way to follow up, <laughs> pick up, reweave some of the threads that this episode leaves behind. So, yeah. Fantastic. Great. Great, great recommendation from the great, great, great Peniston. Um, what is going on right now? <laughs> what is going on right now? You're scaring right. Justin, Philip. Uh, I think if Hannibal was in the room with him, he would smell something. He would be like, uh, what's going on? Maybe, maybe I'm the one playing the Hannibal level game with you, Justin. We'll you know you what are, this episode uh, really reminds me of? Never win. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm going to have to keep in that repetition just so that that makes sense. Um, uh, <laughs> you just, you, I'm going to keep it in now, uh, Kelly Sue. I cleared um, myself. You cleared yourself, self-clearing. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> I think I think we're going to end it there. Uh, you know, let's go around and get everybody's ats here. Um, uh, Lisa, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me on all the social medias at lcatweber with one B, um, mostly on Instagram. Um, you can also find the comic that Kelly Sue and I make, Hex Eleven, at hexcomics.com. Fantastic, Claire. Hex I am comics. Yes. I am at Unexpected Hobby on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find my book, A Geek's Guide to Cross-Stitch Journeys in Space, on the Fanbase Press website. Kay Sue, where can we find you? You can find me at Kelly Sue Says on Twitter, Instagram, and my single video on TikTok. Fantastic. Uh, Justin Peniston? Uh, post a new page of the Hardboiled Fantasy webcomic Hunter Black every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which is today as we're recording, um, <laughs> at hunterblackcomics.com. Um, you can find me at justinpeniston.com or on Twitter at hunterblackcomx. And I am Philip Kelly. I'm at Philip Creates on all social media websites, including Venmo. Um, take that as you will. Uh, and... <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, you can find our other podcasts uh, at the Fanbase Weekly, where we talk about Neil Gaiman, Sandman, at the uh, Dream Journal, and also The Expanse uh, with Through the Ring. And you can find our other podcasts uh, on Spotify and Apple under Popsicle, uh, where we talk about the MCU. Uh, the ladies talk about Black Widow, which uh, makes Justin very jealous, and it's lovely. Um, and I, you can help. I felt so left out in such I a. I thought you that know. you got. I thought we did that because you guys were going to talk yeah, about yeah. it. No, on I, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like you had left me out. I just felt <laughs> oh. like. Yeah, he was just I jealous that he like wasn't part of it. Well, now you know no. how I feel about you all talking about Loki without. Uh oh, there it is. <laughs> I, was I neither did I. Right. That was that was Claire. It was only Claire. Yeah. We can all be jealous of Claire. That was all me, and I did that on purpose. There you go. I locate you. <laughs> locate. Uh, you know, and and you can find us this chatty little group um, you, on uh, social media, Popsicle Pod, uh, P O P S K L P O D, on all social media platforms. Um, if you liked what you've heard, subscribe, share, leave a really nice positive comment on the episodes, um, or our, on our website. You go to popsiclepod.com and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, you know, we'll be doing stuff and a lot of fun stuff as we go down the road um and uh we will be coming back next week so join us again oh be coming back hey. nice. thank, you. thank you very much nice. uh, uh, until then happy hunting This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.